pray for us before we get started today. Father, thank you, Lord, that you are God over all things. Thank you that you are the one true and living God, Father, and you've given us the great privilege of knowing you. Thank you that you have given us your word, Father, as Spencer prayed, that you have revealed yourself to us, Lord, and we take great comfort and great joy in knowing uh, the shepherd of our souls. So this morning, Father, I ask that you would strengthen and bless uh, your saints here. We thank you, God, that you have gathered us together once again. There is something uh, powerful and unique about the gathering of your people together. And so we are grateful, Father, to be able to do it this morning. Please speak to us through your word, God. Renew our minds, lift our spirits, Father, and direct our gaze and attention to your Son. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So, Pastor Rob has given me the great privilege and joy of being able to preach God's Word to you guys this morning. So thank you for having me. Um, If this message, if this text does not encourage you, if you don't leave here uh, encouraged today, then there is absolutely nothing that will. You are hardened and callous to the point of no return. So there's my, pre- <laughs> there's my preface for today. Uh, yeah. Yes, sir. I'm very, uh, very grateful to have been able to land on this particular text. I don't know if it's, uh, I mean, of course it's by God's providence, but it's also by Pastor Rob's graciousness that uh, I've been given a glorious text of Scripture today. And so, by way of introduction, we're going to be in John chapter 6. Working our way through the Gospel of John. Um, Just so you guys know, a little fun fact while you turn there. Uh, In the original manuscripts, there is no title that says the Gospel of John. It's just according to John. Um, And I think that can be confusing because we read the Gospels and we think that everything in it is the Gospel or is Gospel. So when when Jesus tells, you know, people to do things that are shocking and confusing, we think, that must be the gospel. I guess I have to, you know, sell all my stuff and give it to the poor and all this stuff. So it can be confusing. This is a, an account of Jesus' life and ministry according to the Apostle John. So this is where we are, chapter 6. It can be easy uh, to get lost when we slow down like we're doing in these past few verses in a certain section. Sometimes we forget uh, kind of where we're at in the overall story, what's going on in the narrative, why we're here, and what particularly is being addressed by the author. So first and foremost, remember, I do this every single time, but we're going to do it again. John's purposes in writing, this is intended to be an evangelistic book. Okay, And so specific events and dialogues are included here for the purpose that the reader would believe on Jesus for eternal life. Now, for a brief moment, consider what that means. Our brother Jacoby reminds me of this all the time. That means that a Jewish man 2,000 years ago, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life and spent three years going around teaching people from his own region that he had literally come down from heaven, was the Son of God, and the only way to heaven. So just at face value, this is pretty wild, okay? This is not something that we really encounter in our day-to-day lives. Uh, This is special information. And there would have to be overwhelming attesting evidence that this is true for any semi-rational person to believe it, yes? 
If I told you guys these things, you'd be like, okay, right on, buddy. Of course you are. And indeed, there is evidence to attest to the truthfulness of God's word. And that's the main reason that John wrote the things that he did. Now, as far as where we are specifically in the book of John, as you guys know, this section we're into is referred as the bread of life discourse. It covers from about verse 20 through 60. It follows the miraculous feeding of the 5,000 men, if you guys remember that. And we cannot forget that. We can't miss that. Because remember, as Pastor Rob's been saying, that Jesus does not perform signs for no reason. He's not just a magician. He's not David Copperfield up there just wowing the crowds to sell tickets, right? In fact, uh, he's doing crowd control with this sermon that he's preaching right now. So a sign points to something, and now the sign of the miraculous feeding that we observed has become a launching pad for Jesus to speak in very clear terms about who he is and what he has come to do. The miracle serves as an avenue for revelation, for Jesus to reveal himself in the will of the Father. And so whenever God says something specific about himself in the first person, right, I blank, we should be engaged. We should be locked in. So the narrative, the story, the people, the places, the times, the events, they're recorded in order to show us who he is, his character, his nature, his desires, right? John 20, again, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these, these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The details of the story exist for the purpose that we would know Jesus, who he is, and believe in him for eternal life. And a lot of the time, we can get carried away by trying to parse out all the little minute, fun details and nuances of the setting. And we forget that the setting is only helpful in as much as it serves to make the point that the author is trying to get across. In our case, it is all about belief in the Son of God, the bread of life. And today, Jesus is still talking about himself. If you guys have been around people long enough, you know most people love to talk about themselves, right? And we, we soak it up, we smile and nod, yeah, that's really great, right? And then we roll our eyes when they're not looking, like, man... This person loves to talk about themselves. Well, when Jesus talks about himself, it is absolutely the time to listen if there ever was a time. It is amazing the way that he navigates a conversation as we read about his life and ministry. I think that we think, man, I would have loved to have been there to ask him some questions myself. And I think, really? Are you sure? Because when I read the narratives, I'm thinking, man, when people ask him a question, you don't know what they are going to get. It is rarely a straight answer, that's for certain. Rarely a straight answer because he knows exactly what needs to be said. Sometimes he answers with more questions. Sometimes he doesn't answer at all. And sometimes he goes on a discourse and begins teaching and doesn't really answer their questions because they're not asking the right questions in the first place or they're asking for the wrong reasons. And that's just how we got to where we are now. Again, Jesus is answering a question. The crowd asks him, what sign are you going to perform? What work are you going to do so we can see and believe, right? And they remind him of the manna that came down in Moses' day for the people to eat. 
And he tells them, for the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Lord, give, or Lord, always give us this bread. And he uses his response to this to give some of the most precious words, some of the most precious truths about himself in all of the scripture. This section that we're going to cover today is a bedrock for the Christian. It is a refuge. It is a fortress. It is a place of security. It's a place of peace. It's a place of hope. And it is also life and hope to the non-Christian as well. The knowledge of Jesus is the only thing that can save. Amen? Okay, just making sure we're on the same page here. And here in these verses, he gives that knowledge of himself, and he gives assurance and security to those who have come to that knowledge. And so we're going to back up this morning to verse 37 and make our way through verse 40 of chapter 6. And for y'all note-taker, title folk, uh, today's title is Absolute Security or Absolutely Secure, whichever one you prefer. I'll leave it up to you. Absolutely secure. Now remember, Jesus is in the beginning portion of preaching a sermon, preaching a sermon that was so offensive that as a result, many of his followers will literally walk away when he is done preaching it. He is doing massive crowd reduction here by presenting difficult truths about himself not the least of which is his relationship between those who have been given to him by the Father and those who will come to him, which he repeats multiple times in this sermon. And for those who could not hear it, this was the end of the road for them. But for those who have heard his words and believed and understood what he's saying, this is some of the most cherished truth to be found in all of God's word. Absolute security. So read with me if you would, verse 37. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So number one for you note takers, we are absolutely secure because of the love between God the Father and God the Son. We are absolutely secure because of the love between God the Father and God the Son. We're not going to rehash verse 37 today, but it does tie directly into the rest of the passage here, and so we need to consider it. Jesus is the bread of life that came down from heaven. He is the only source of eternal life. He is truly God. He is eternal and uncreated. That's what he's saying when he says, I came down from heaven. And where he was, he existed in perfect love and harmony with the Father and the Spirit before time and creation. Now, in this perfect holy love for the Son and in love for the world that he would create, God decided, God predestined that the Son would become a man and take the sins of his people upon himself. 
and redeem them for himself, that they would be an adopted, holy people for his own possession, a people who would praise his glorious grace forever. That's what we have on the screens out in the foyer, to the praise of his glorious grace. Right? That's essentially Ephesians 1 in a nutshell. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to his purpose. The sovereign God, you remember from the past couple weeks, the one who works all things according to the counsel of his will, his plan for all eternity was to redeem a people through the Son for the Son. If you are his this morning, you are among that people. That eternal plan of love and redemption, you are among all who were given by the Father that have come to the Son. What a place of privilege and blessing that that is, amen? And so it only follows in verse 37 that Jesus says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. So the way this is phrased is to emphasize the fact that not one, not one of those whom the Father has given will be lost. He moves from the group, all, to the individual, the one. Of all that the Father has given, I will certainly not cast out one. Because of the love between the Father and the Son, we find ourselves absolutely secure in the hands of God. If we have come to Jesus, we have entered into an eternally existing divine love that is incomprehensible to our minds. It is unending. It is unchangeable. It's irrevocable. It's unstoppable because it finds its root in the one who is himself love. There is no possible way for the Father to not perfectly love the Son. And likewise, it is impossible for the Son to not perfectly love the Father. And so, it is impossible for Jesus to cast out anyone that the Father gives him. Those who come to him are his and ever will be his. Isn't that amazing? That is security. Do you see how important it is to see the will of God in the center of all of this? That is the root of our hope and our assurance and our security that salvation is his plan. It is his work, it is his gift, and so he receives his glory in it. I absolutely have to take us to John 17 just to drive home the depth of this love. If you want to turn there, you can. Um, verse 21, if not, please just listen. Jesus is praying to the Father for his disciples, and then he extends his prayer to all who would believe in him through their words, which 2,000 years later includes you and me. And he prays to the Father, he asks, verse 21, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Verse 22, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Did you guys catch that? 
He has loved us even as he has loved his own son. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. There are really no words to describe this reality that the Father has loved us with the same love that he has for his Son. God loves you with the same love that he loves his perfect Son. We are his adopted children, and we will never be anything but his adopted children because it was ultimately his will that we would be. John chapter 1, verse 12, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, and so we are. Even to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Number one, we are absolutely secure because of the love between God the Father and God the Son. The same love that the Father has for the Son has been poured out on us through him. Number two, note takers, we are absolutely secure because Jesus and the Father are one. Verse 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now, if you remember back to John 5, which seems like an eternity ago now, even though it was the last chapter of the book, Jesus made it clear that he was equal with God, calling God his own father. You guys remember that? Smile at me if you do. You guys awake? Okay. He was making himself equal with God, calling God his own father. He was so clear, in fact, that the Jews wanted to kill him for the things that he was saying. And so it's already well established in John's account that Jesus has made his claim to deity. There is absolutely no mistaking it. And now he has declared, as Pastor Rob already pointed out, I am the bread of life. It's the first of seven I am metaphors in the book of John that are in themselves individual claims of his divine nature. They echo the sacred name and nature of the self-existent God that was revealed to Moses at the burning bush. And so Jesus has made his identity clear. He is the Son of God. He and the Father are one. They are united in all things, not the least of which is purpose, not the least of which is will. So when Jesus says things like, I came not to do my own will, or I do nothing of my own accord, or I only do what the Father does, or I only say what the Father says, he's not saying that he wants to do one thing and the Father wants to do another, and so he twists his arm and, and tells him to go stand in the corner until the Father gets what he wants. That's not at all what's going on here. Jesus is showing us that he and the Father are perfectly aligned. He's saying that the Father approves of him. He approves of his works. The Father has set his seal on him. He has his blessing and his authority and his purpose. Jesus is the perfect son, the one who achieved perfect obedience to the Father, even to the point of death on the cross. It was the very purpose of the incarnation that Jesus would come and do the Father's will. 
And so in every way that Adam failed, Jesus came as God in the flesh to succeed for us. And he cannot do anything other than the Father's will because he is himself God. The two are one. He cannot fail. He cannot disobey. He always does the Father's will and he always accomplishes it. This is what Pastor Rob taught on thoroughly in dealing with the sovereignty of God. He does what pleases him. He purposes to carry it out. He sets it in motion, and he does whatever he wills, and he can and does bring it to pass. Whatever it is that he desires, and no one, nothing can stop him. Nothing can stay his hand, and no one can say to him, what have you done? And so there is perfect agreement and harmony within the Godhead, within the Trinity, within the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They work in unity to accomplish the perfect will of the Father. And so Jesus, the eternal Son, came down from heaven. God came down and became a man to accomplish the Father's will. And did he succeed? Did he succeed? And what was the Father's will? Verse 39. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all he has given me I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Number three. We are absolutely secure because Jesus is keeping us. We're absolutely secure because Jesus himself is keeping us. The Father has brought salvation to the world by choosing a people to give to the Son, sending the Son to save his people, drawing those people to the Son, and keeping those people through the Son. We are given to the Son. We are drawn to the Son. We come to the Son, and we are kept by the Son. So we can be absolutely sure that if we come to Him, we are eternally safe. We are eternally secure. We are eternally beloved, and we are perfected once and for all. Because Jesus Himself will see to it. Because in love, he received us from the Father. In love, he obeys the Father's will perfectly. And in love, he preserves that which was given to him. Again, we cannot help but see that this is all God's doing. Do you see the repeated emphasis is on him in all of this? It's on him. It's on him. It is on him. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. The Father gives lost people to him, and Jesus will never cast out that which is given. He comes to do the Father's will, and he gives eternal life, and he raises up his people on the last day. The emphasis is not on us and our ability to come and our ability to keep ourselves. It is on Christ and his ability to keep us. Praise God for that. We are eternally secure because he can do nothing else. There is no other way that this can play out. 
For him to cast one of his own away, to lose one, to let one slip through his fingers would be to reject the Father's will. It would be for Jesus to fail the Father's will. It's impossible. It cannot happen. It is more likely for Jesus to sin against the Father than for a child of God to be lost. Let that sink in. It is more likely for Jesus to sin than for you to be lost if you are in Christ. That's how secure we are in Him. You know, we concern ourselves quite a lot with God's will, don't we? As we should, right? If we're His children, uh, we ought to seek to please Him. That is our aim in this life. If we belong to Him, we want to please our Father because He has done all for us. But I think a lot of the time, we are quite preoccupied with God's undisclosed plan for the daily ins and outs of our daily lives. We are so caught up in the next turn that God wants me to make. God, should I go left or right at the stop sign? I want to do your will. I don't want to miss your best for me. You know, should I run this red light, Lord? I don't know, right? No, right? We're to obey the laws of the land. Yes, that's his will for us, right? God, what should I do? Should I get the double-double? Should I get grilled onions? Should I get raw onions? Should I get pickles? Should I get the hot peppers? Last time I got the hot peppers, it burned my tongue. I was sweating. I had to buy a drink. I had to get a milkshake. And then I had an insulin crash afterwards, and I felt horrible, right? These are the things that were so twisted up. And what, what does God want me to do? Should I get decaf? Should I get fully caffeinated? Should I get the light roast? We allow these things to distract our attention from his clear, revealed will in Scripture. If you want to know God's will, look here. Look here. It's there. I assure you guys, he is more concerned. This is a play on words. Just listen. I assure you, he is more concerned with your assurance than your next car purchase. Okay? You understand? Toyota, Honda, they're both going to work just fine, right? They're great cars. They get good gas mileage. They don't break down. God's concern primarily for your life is higher things, higher things. Jesus tells us what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's his will for you. God will meet your other needs along the way. As you walk in faith, as you walk in trust, as you walk in wisdom, God will move in the midst. He will do what needs to be done. But seek Him. Trust in Him along the way. That is His will for you, that you would believe His word. That's God's will. Take Him at His word and believe it. And this is His will, that all who come to Christ will have eternal life and will be raised in glory at his return. I'll say it again, secure, secure. Let me look into your eyes and see that you know that you are secure this morning. First Peter chapter 1, Peter says in his introduction, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, catch this, who are being protected 
by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. He has reserved an inheritance for us that will not fade away, and he is protecting us. He is guarding us by his own power, the power of the one who created all things, the power of the one who raised Jesus from the dead, merely through us believing in him, through faith, until the fullness of our salvation is revealed, until he raises us up on the last day. Notice here in our text how he uses the same emphatic language as he did in verse 37, here in verses 39 and 40. From all to one. He is able to keep all. He is committed to all that the Father gives. I said at the outset, this passage is a sanctuary for the Christian. This is our resting place. Because at the end of the day, When we lay our heads down, we are troubled by many things, aren't we? We're troubled by many things. Many things creep in day after day to rob us of our joy, to rob us of our freedom, to rob us of our liberty that is in Christ, to rob us of our peace, our contentment, our sweet fellowship with God. And the list goes on. Work, relationships, sickness, death, pain, sorrow, loss, regret, and on and on and on and on it goes. We live in a cursed world. Amen? Is anyone experiencing the effects of the curse today? We're experiencing the effects of the curse every single day because of the existence of sin. And when it's all said and done, if we look past everything else, we peel back everything that we're anxious about, everything we're doubting, everything that's out of our control, everything that's hurting us, frightening us, discouraging us. What do we need? What do we need? What is the one thing that we can say, if I have this, I can make it through. I can hold on for one more day. What is it? We need to know that we are loved by God. We need to know that we are loved by God and we can know. We can know His perfect love that casts out all fear of punishment. It casts out all fear of judgment. It casts out all fear of condemnation. All fear, it casts out all fear of being cast out. It casts out all fear of being lost if we come to the Son. We will have it. We do have it. Some will argue that it is presumptuous for us to say with absolute confidence and certainty that we will live eternally in heaven. Some will say that it is an arrogant claim to make that we know for sure that we will live eternity with Jesus in heaven. Guys, the exact opposite is true. The exact opposite is true. Our doubting and our wavering and our uncertainty is the presumptuous thing because we make the Lord Jesus out to be mistaken when he said, everyone who believes in me will have eternal life. Does that make sense? By saying, "Eh, 
I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe I'll get there. Maybe I won't. I'm kind of struggling right now. I don't know. We make Jesus a liar. We make him out to be mistaken when he said that everyone who believes in me will have eternal life. How can we know that when we die, we won't just become worm food? How can we know? We haven't seen heaven. We haven't been there. No one's come back to tell us about it, right? We don't need someone to come back and tell us about it because the bread of life came down from heaven and revealed the Father. If we are to take Jesus at his word, we must have assurance. I'll say it again. If we are going to take Jesus at his word, we must have assurance because he leaves nothing to doubt. If we come to him, we are and forever will be in the love of God, period. We are in his love. We will forever be in his love. And according to the Apostle Paul, there is nothing in this world, physical, spiritual, now, later, not even death can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. He loves you with the affection of a father to a beloved son, of a father to a beloved daughter. One of my favorite songs is called Rejoice, and we may do it someday soon if Pastor Rob permits. Uh, and one, one of the refrains goes like this. I'm not going to sing it. Maybe I will. I don't know. Let me take a sip first. We are <clears throat> children of the promise, the beloved of the Lord, one with everlasting kindness, bought with sacrificial blood, bringing reconciliation to a world that longs to know the affections of a father who will never let them go. This is what we long to know. This is what we were created for, to worship and enjoy God forever to have fellowship with him, to live in his love. And we're told that everyone, everyone who beholds the Son and believes will have eternal life and be raised by Jesus himself on the last day. That's what it means to come to him, to see him for who he is and to believe in him for who he is. That's it. That's it. He is, according to John 1, the word who was in the beginning with God, who was God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and they saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And he has explained the Father to us. He has revealed the Father's will that if we believe on the Son, the Christ, for eternal life, we have it justified, brought in forever to be kept by faith alone in Christ alone, apart from our works so that no one may boast. He has done it all. Behold and believe. Behold and receive Come and eat. He is true food, food that will never perish. And so the one who eats will also never perish. If you come to him, you will have eternal life. You will be raised from death to glory. This is his commitment to his chosen people. It's his word on the line, 
And his word does not fail. It never has and it never will. As Paul writes to Titus, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. God can't fail his promise. Well, pastor, what if I fall into sin? He won't let you go. What if I doubt? He won't let you go. What if I look at my life and I don't see enough good works? What do we do then? He will not let you go. Believe in him. Trust in him. Our hope is in him. Our assurance is in him. And in him we are as securely held and loved as anything in this universe could possibly be. Do you guys know that? If you didn't, you do now. I listen to a lot of different sermons and good. <laughs> Just make sure you're careful who you're listening to, please. Run it by us. Some sketchy folks out there on YouTube. I listen to a lot of different sermons and video clips throughout the week. I read articles. I listen to podcasts, so on and so forth. And so often I hear guys with good intentions. I'm not impugning their motives. But guys with good intentions who really want to see their people strive for holiness. Do you guys want to strive for holiness? Do we want you to strive for holiness? Amen. Because you are children of God, you must strive for holiness. You hear that? Because you are children of God, you must strive for holiness. I hear guys so often, they want their people to be holy so badly, and I hear them or I read them using fear as a motivator for holiness. Essentially robbing Christians of their assurance by causing them to doubt. Are you holy enough? Are you doing enough? Become the main questions. It's subtle, but it happens so often to scare the Christian into holy living, to make the child of God uncomfortable in their salvation due to their performance. And there are few things in this world that get under my skin worse than this. It's as if, yes, you know, you confessed your sinfulness before God and humbled yourself and cried out to the Lord Jesus to save you, and that's all good, right on, thumbs up. Salvation's by grace, through faith, apart from works, praise the Lord. But now, it looks like your works aren't really measuring up with your profession. I don't think there's enough fruit on your tree. There's not enough fruit in your life to show that you are really saved. And then they'll, what they'll do is they'll press in on holiness. You've got to be more holy or you should feel in danger. Or you've got to be more holy or you should question your salvation. You should question if you even belong to God. Look at your life. It's subtle, but it takes works and it sneaks them in the back door. It says, yeah, yeah, you're saved by grace, but you're kept by your performance. You're kept by your obedience. It makes performance the base of our assurance. And friends, I will go to my grave saying, no, wrong, wrong. Don't misunderstand me. 
Sin absolutely will get our thinking twisted and cause us to doubt the Word of God. If we are living in sin, we will be robbed of our assurance. Sin left unchecked will creep in and twist our thinking, and it will rob us of our assurance. I promise you this. I've been there myself. I know many of you have too. You look in the mirror, and all you see is every way in which you're failing, and you think, there's no way that I am a child of God. But if you are trying to assure yourself day by day that you are saved based on your performance, you have got the cart in front of the horse. That is not what Jesus said. That is not what Paul said. He said, whoever beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. Amen? John 20, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing have life in His name. If anyone asks you, can a Christian lose their salvation, they are asking the wrong question. The question is altogether irrelevant because it implies that this salvation is ours to lose. The real question at stake is, can Jesus lose one that the Father has given to him? What's our answer? According to Jesus, certainly not. He doesn't just say no. He says certainly not. Not, absolutely not, by no means. Can Jesus forsake the will of the Father? Certainly not. Are you struggling right now? Are you burdened with sin? What do you do? Trust in Christ. If you're not holy enough, trust in Him. If you think you're holy enough, you're not. Trust in Him. Look again to Him. Believe His words. Do you lack assurance today? Are you unsure? Do you think, maybe I'll make it and maybe the Lord will say, depart from me, I never never knew you. Do you lack assurance? Trust in Christ. Look to Him. Believe His words. Are you afraid that on the last day, your works are not going to be good enough? They're not. Trust in Christ. Look to Him. Believe His promise. Romans 4, 5. To the one who does not work, but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Faith credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been, what? Forgiven. And whose sins have been, what? Covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Blessed are you. If you have received Christ, you have received all and it cannot be taken from you. Rejoice. Your sins have been covered by his blood. You are safe. You are secure. You always will be. But, like I said, this passage is not just for believers. In fact, It is addressed to those who have seen and not believed. John is an evangelist. This word is for the outsider too. All of this, the love of the Father, the forgiveness of the Son, the keeping of the Son will be yours if you will come to Him.
And any who come to him, he will by no means cast out. You will not be turned away. You will not be forsaken. You will receive the unconditional love that you were made to live in. And you will be secure in his love forever. Forever. The affection of a loving father. He makes no demands to jump through hoops, to earn your way into his grace, to prove your worth, to make yourself right before him. You can't do any of this. All that is required is that you agree with God that you are not good. Acknowledge that you have sinned against him. Forsake trusting in your own goodness, of which you have none. And believe in Jesus, the Son of God, who lived in perfect obedience to the Father's will for you. Believe in Jesus, the Son of God, who died the horrific criminal's death that you should have died in your place and rose from the grave victorious over sin and death. He is a mighty and wonderful Savior. And as long as there is breath in your lungs, it is not too late. This is the best news in the history of all things. It is called the good news. It's not some good news. It is the good news. It's not old news. It's good news. It's good news for the Christian right here, right now. And it's good news for the unbeliever right here, right now. Eternal life is a free gift. Right? Come and receive it. You are not promised tomorrow. My friends, you are going to die. One way or another, you're going to die. Please don't do it right now, but you're going to die. And we would do well to consider our end. If you are in Christ, to consider your end. If you are outside of Christ, consider your end. It very well may be today. And what you have done with Jesus will be all that matters on the last day. So come to him today. There is absolutely nothing standing between you and eternal life and glory with him. Amen? Praise God. Here, lift your praise upward, please. Thank you. Father, thank you, God, that you are a gracious God. Thank you, Lord, that you have made eternal life possible. You have done the impossible. You have reconciled evil, disobedient sinners to yourself through your Son. And you have promised us, Father, that if we're yours, we're yours. We thank you, Lord, that nothing can take that from us. We can't even take it from ourselves, God, that you have decided and your decision is final. We cling to you today, God, for hope, for assurance, for security. We ask that you would fill us, Father, with the peace that comes with knowing that nothing and no one can snatch us out of your hand, that you are holding us, that you will give us eternal life, that you will raise us up on the last day. If there's anyone in here, God, who has not called upon the name of Jesus to be saved, Father, I pray that you would pierce their hearts now with an overwhelming sense of their great need to be forgiven to be reconciled, to be loved. God, I ask that you would move in them now to respond to you, to confess, Father, that they need 
salvation and that they cannot save themselves and to entrust themselves entirely to the only one who can save, the only one who can bring us to you. God, would you do that now? Would you move in the hearts of the people here today, Father? Would you bring about the miracle of salvation for your glory, for the praise of your grace? We thank you, Lord, that you're able to pierce hearts and minds and that you're mighty to save. And so we praise you, we thank you, and we give you glory and we believe you, God. We believe you this morning that you will be true to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.